Good morning. I'll try that again. Good morning. It's lovely to see you this morning. And for those I haven't met yet, uh, I'm Maggie. I'm part of the furniture here. Been here a long time. Do not laugh, Michelle. Thank you. And this morning we're, we're continuing with our series that's called Hope DNA. And we feel it's an important time to be looking again and unpacking a little bit the values that are really important to us as a church. And for those who are new, they're actually on the wall in the coffee lounge. Not a little list, but spread across the wall, ever so clearly, for us to hear, because we don't want to forget them. And so far in the last three weeks, we've been thinking about what it means to be authentic community of extravagant worshippers. We're going to continue that this morning. Last week, Matt talked about worship, not as this kind of thing on a Sunday morning, but as the whole lifestyle thing, where every moment of every day, whatever I'm doing, whether I'm in school, college, work, with my family, with my mates, all I am is responding to all of who my amazing, wonderful, loving God is. Worship's a lifestyle, isn't it? It's not just something we do here. And if you missed that last week, do find it online. If you don't know how to find stuff online, have a word with us. In fact, any of the three talks that we've done so far on Hope DNA. But today we are actually going to think a bit more about worship and worship as it goes on here on a Sunday morning or any other time in the week when God's people get together and we do a bit of singing and we have a bit of music and a few other things as well. And we want to think this morning about what are the values that are important to us here when we do this? But actually more important, what's on God's heart for when we come together like this? That's much more important, isn't it? It's okay to answer. Matt knows it's all right to answer. I'm not nervous, and God certainly isn't. So, you know, feel free to banter, please, within reason. So what is it that we're talking about when we come together? What actually does that look like? Now, there's loads of stuff we could talk about this morning, isn't it? And you might want to do a little word study in the week. Look up that word worship. And if you enjoy getting through the Bible and finding stuff out, it'll probably take you into Psalms and Revelation and Isaiah and a few other bits as well. And you'll have a whale of a time. But Matt says we haven't got time for that this morning. <laughs> so I would just like to share with you two or three key words and a couple of pictures that I hope will be helpful about what should be going on here. And the first key word that keeps bobbing up all the time. Do you know, it's really funny how that happens sometimes. You know, when God's around, there are key words that start bobbing up in meetings and bobbing up in discussions and bobbing up in prayer meetings. And it bobbed up last week in Matt's talk. And it's the word encounter. And we believe here as a leadership that probably the main thing that is on God's heart and mind when the people of God come together, whether it's here this morning, here in the week, in a small group, 
but it's that word encounter. He's after an encounter. Now, I don't know about you, I, I kind of think of, that that's a bit of a heavy word and it might conjure up all sorts of ideas for you. You know, I started thinking about, you know, sometimes when you bump into somebody in the street and it's the last person you want to see. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure that doesn't happen to you because you're very nice and gracious, much more godly than me, but it does happen. And you think, oh no, I haven't got time. <laughs> or more likely, for me, it was, you know, being sent to stand outside the head teacher's office. Oh yes, it used to happen to me. I was not a naughty girl, but I was, can you believe it, very talkative. <laughs> Thank you for the affirmation. Or it might mean, even worse, an encounter that's going to be a brush with somebody that involves conflict, and we do not want to get into that. Do you know, when God talks about encounter, he's got something completely different on his mind. And here, I need a bit of help. So the Gaskies are going to help me this morning. I'm looking a bit worried because I can see Mr. Gask, but Mrs. Gask is here. Okie dokie. And let's have a round of applause for them, please. Sue, are you going to position yourself over here? Now, if you know the Gaskies, Mr. Gask here, we'll call him, we'll be polite this morning. He often goes away from home talking about Jesus to people all over the country. Can you believe that? He loves it. And sometimes Mrs. G goes as well, and sometimes she doesn't. And this time she didn't, and he went on the train, which is a bit unusual. And so she has to go to the station to pick him up. And when she goes to the station, this is what happens. <laughs> enough, enough. Time up. <laughs> go sit in the corner then. Come on, give them a round of applause. I deserve that. Brilliant, eh? Brilliant or what? Do you know? I missed that, sorry. <laughs> Tell me later. Do you know that is exactly the kind of encounter the Father is looking for when we come together for worship. How do I know that? Because one of the words in the Bible for worship means exactly what they just did, to run together, to kiss. Don't you love that? I can see some of you looking a bit worried now. Run together to kiss. It's a bit intimate, isn't it? You know. Because we are not talking cold and religious when we come to have an encounter with God. We are not talking about cowering in the corner. We are talking something up close and personal. Now, if you're a bit like me, when I used to go to church as a teenager, I was kind of led to believe that God was a lot more proper than that. And maybe that's what you've been brought up to think as well. Well, I thought about that and I find it very interesting that one of the most beautiful, if not the most beautiful picture of encounter with the Father in the whole of Scripture is that fantastic story in Luke 15. You know, the one about the guy who goes off the sun and he uses all his father's money on women and gin, gets in a right mess, hasn't got anything, has to come home wondering what the father's going to do. And this is what the father does. He picks up his robes 
He sees his son coming and he starts to do something that was very non-kosher, very not the done thing, and probably in front of his neighbours, maybe the whole village. He runs out. And in that very proper King James Version, we used to think it was very proper. It says something like this. He fell on his neck and kissed him repeatedly. That's not very proper, is it? And I love that. I love that fell on his neck bit because it's like mangled and tangled and messy and close up and personal. And that's exactly what the father wants. And that's Jesus who's telling that story. So it's pretty safe. And he's saying the longing that's in the Father's heart for you and for me is so desperate, so wonderful to welcome us and to get close to him that that's what it looks like. Isn't that amazing? Now, if you are feeling a bit worried now, (laughs) you see that kind of intimacy, of course, doesn't happen in five minutes, does it? I mean, there's been a bit of history between the Gaskies to get to that place, you know, where, I mean, I'm sure that was quite inhibited. They're doing it in front of 150, 200 people in the morning. I mean, for goodness sake, it probably looks quite different when they're on their own. But for them in their relationship, like every relationship and like our relationship with the Father, to get to that intimacy, to get to that safety in encounter, where actually it is safe, although it's intimate, it's safe because they know they're so loved by each other that they can give themselves and that encounter is going to change them and every time they have that sort of encounter, it will change them more and more and more and more. But that doesn't happen in five minutes, it's a journey. It's been a journey for them and it's a journey for us with God. And this morning we're all in different places on our journey with God. Some of you feel like you're at the very beginning. Some of you might still feel like you're kind of looking in at the back a little bit and thinking, I'm not sure what's going on here, (laughs) but it's very interesting. And some of you might be, I can see some of you are red hot this morning and you're desperate to give him that big hug and let him embrace you. But do you know the Father's heart is this, that every time we come together, wherever we are on our personal journey, that when we encounter him in worship, we will move forward a little bit or maybe a lot on that journey of closeness and we will be changed by his love. That's the whole purpose of the thing. There's nothing much more to it than that. It's a journey with him where we get closer and we get changed. And then other people get changed because of that. How wonderful is that? So our second key word, I'm not sure if there's any pictures coming up on it. Bless you, Jen, you're doing a great job here. I'm not telling her anything, but she's just doing it. It's a journey. And so when we come together on a Sunday morning... We are hoping, we are praying, we are longing. The Father is hoping and praying and longing that there's going to be a bit more of that journey happening while we're in here for every one of us. Isn't that exciting? Well, three of you are excited anyway, and two of them are on the front row, so, you know. Now, what does that journey look like? I don't mean your personal journey generally. I mean the journey when we get here and when we're doing stuff here. And the first bit of it, because we are being a bit practical this week, but the, the first bit of it actually 
is a bit of a setup. Because there's been a bit of route planning going on before you even got here this morning. Did you know that? This band, I mean, we have got the most amazing set of musicians, gifted musicians and techie people here every Sunday morning. Shall we give them a round of applause because they are wonderful. We want to honour that. We want to honour that because it is their job, do you know, to help us along that journey. And on that journey, I've got up on my thing that there's a few stopping places. And they're important stopping places to get us to the place of encounter with him. And we've been doing some of those things this morning. I'll give you a clue to the first one, then you might be able to tell me some of the others. The first thing we started doing this morning was praising him. You know, you put your worship music on in the week. It's always got the word praise in it. You read the Psalms, David, the great worship leader. It's always got the word praise in it. Jesus, you are wonderful. You are great. You are glorious. You're the forgiver. Oh, my goodness, we love you. That is part of any deep relationship of love, and it's got to be part of this relationship. We praise him. We were praising him just now with everything we got. Any ideas of the other stopping places? If praise is important on the journey, what else? Thanking him. Thank you, I'm glad you came. In the right order as well, and I know I haven't primed her or anything. We thank him, don't we? We've been thanking him this morning. We thank him for that gorgeous sunset that we have. We thank him for healing us, for touching us, for helping us with the kids, for all sorts of things that we've experienced, even this week. We've got so much to thank him for, part of our journey to that encounter. Anything else? We're honouring him, yeah, we're honouring him. I believe we're honouring him as we praise him. And the one way we honour him is we're remembering. We want to remember there are some things that we do not want to forget, things, important truths, things he's done, stuff he's doing. And the main thing, of course, is what? The cross, thank you. The cross is the centre. Jesus says, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Always remember this. Break bread, drink the wine. In our worship, every time we want to remember the cross, we lift the cross very high. That's the most important value we've probably got in our church family. And as part of our remembering, we do some declaring. Some of what you've been doing this morning, we've been singing out, shout it out, who the Lord is. Not just to him, but to each other. Because Jesus says it's the truth that sets us free. It's his truth that makes us strong. John 8 talks about that that there are things that we build our lives on, make us strong, keep the enemy out, and they're his truths, and we better remember them, we better declare them, and it puts everything into perspective when we do. We need you to be here, not just for yourself, we need you to be here for each other, for everybody, so that as we declare this stuff out, we get stronger together. Now, again, I was brought up in a church where we did quite a few of those things. And I used to think, okay, we've done, you know, we've done a bit of showing our love for him now, giving our thanks to him. Let's listen to the sermon and go for a coffee. Wrong. Because in that wonderful picture of the Gasks running together to kiss, it's a two-way street, isn't it? Hello. 
It's a two-way thing, you see. And the amazing thing is, of course, that he runs out to me. It's not just me running out to him and saying, I love you, I need your help, I need your forgiveness. Of course he's there, but he's, gonna, he's running to us. In fact, he's running to us before we're running to him. And so here you will notice on a Sunday morning that we don't just make time to do the singing and declaring and the talking. We want to make time to listen. And you'll notice that we sometimes, and we will in a moment, we stop between the songs sometimes because we believe there might be a word, a picture that somebody's going to bring and it's God leading us, leading them. And we want to hear what he's got to say now. He's now word today for you. That word of encouragement that you really need, that word of guidance that you're longing for, that word of healing that you're desperate for. He's got it. We want to hear it and we want to hear his word for the church together as well. And so we listen. But we don't just listen and say, oh, that was a nice word. <laughs> Perhaps we do sometimes. Because the response to that, of course, is surrender. And that's when the encounters can start to happen, folks, when I say, okay, Jesus, I hear what you're saying and I give in. And sometimes that surrender is very easy because the things he's saying to us are wonderful and easy and sometimes, of course, they're a great challenge and it's a little bit tougher. But that surrender is going to bring us so close to him. And again, like that kissing, it's always safe because he knows you like nobody else, he loves you like nobody else, he cares about what happens to you like nobody else. And the best place that we can be before him is in a place of sweet, sweet surrender. It's very safe. It's very wonderful. I could go on all morning and I probably will. But we are going to try and stop at 12 o'clock. We want to worship a bit more first. So how, if this is the journey to get to these encounters, how do we come? What is there that's going to help us to get into that place where we can engage with the journey? I want to read a quick scripture and just chat for a few more minutes. I think this is the most wonderful picture of worship. And you may think, well, this don't look like corporate worship to me and there's not much singing going on, but it's definitely worship and it's definitely helpful. And it's Luke 7. And the story begins in verse 36 and you've got Jesus has been invited out to dinner by a very religious guy called Simon. And the chances are that he's invited a few of his bloke friends who are also religious and they want to have a debate with Jesus about some of the stuff he says. And so they're just all lying around as they would then. I can never understand that, you know, how you'd lie around on cushions and have your dinner at the same time. It seems very messy to me. But that's the culture. And so they're doing that. And as they're doing that, a very unexpected person pulls up. And I just love this. Verse 37, Luke 7. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. That kind of means Chanel number no. five body butter. The girls will understand what I mean. 
expensive and gorgeous. And as she stood behind Jesus at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who'd invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he'd know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Let's skip on to verse 44. Jesus then turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house, you didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. She loved much. He who's been forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I love this. This is worship. This is extravagant worship. This dear lady, she isn't even given a name. She's described as a woman who leads a sinful life. Shorthand for that probably is she was a prostitute or she had a reputation with blokes. And here she is coming to the most unlikely party. <laughs> and she is not coming for a nice dinner. And she is not coming to find a nice man. She's coming for one reason only. And I just love this the best. Verse 37 says, she's coming because she's heard Jesus is in the house. Wouldn't it be great if every time we came on a Sunday morning, we came because we've heard Jesus is in the house? That's how I want it to be, you know. That's how we want it to be. Don't want to come. Oh, do you know who's preaching today? Oh, do you know who's in the band today? Oh, I think my friend's coming. We'll have a cup of coffee afterwards. All those things are great. But if Jesus ain't in the house, don't count for much. And I love it that this lady, it costs her to come and she chooses, she really engages her will to come. If she'd thought about it a lot, she would not have come. She has a reputation. They're going to be talking about her. They're going to be putting her down. She's the only woman who's going to be there. Believe me, if she thought about any of that, she would not have come. She doesn't go on feelings. She makes a choice. She engages her will. And when she comes, she makes a beeline for Jesus. She's got a lot of stuff. Most of us have. Just looks different on different people. And some of us hide it more than others. When we were praying this morning, people were saying things like, you know, about leaving our stuff at the door sometimes. Do you know, I don't believe we need to leave our stuff at the door. She didn't. This dear lady came with everything she was, exactly as she was, to meet Jesus. She must have heard him before or seen him. She must have had some idea of what he was like and the love and forgiveness and the stuff that was just oozing off him. And she felt safe to come. 
Whatever stuff you've come with this morning, you don't need to leave it at the door, guys. You bring it right in. But you don't let it be the focus. She didn't let it be the focus. She just came after him as if she knew that once she got to him, he'd fix it anyway. And that's what it is. If the enemy tells you that there's anything in your life that needs to hold you back from getting close to Jesus, you tell him it's rubbish. Nothing, nothing, Paul says in Romans 8, needs to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing we've done, nothing we've experienced, no pain we've had, no hurt we've had. Nothing needs to keep me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And she got that. She got a hold of that and she made a beeline for him. I don't know how you came in this morning, folks. You may have come very enthusiastic, just like this lady. You may have come loaded down. You may have come dulled by all the familiarity of doing this week after week. I don't know. Or you may actually feel a bit like her, like a gate crusher. But you've made the choice to be here, and Jesus loves that. He loves that you've made the choice, that you didn't go on feelings. Now, can I encourage you make a beeline for him? Sometimes, you know, that means making practical changes. A lady said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said, do you know, Maggie, I nearly always sit at the back. She said, and I know that Jesus is telling me to sit nearer the front because I can't concentrate and I miss a lot of what he wants to do. And I said, bless you, you and me both. Why do you think I'm on the front row all the time? I don't want to miss anything, folks. He doesn't want you to miss anything he's got lined up for you. It's all good stuff. Then what did she do when she got right in? She stood behind him. She didn't get in the way. She was really sensitive and she just started to cry. She let him touch her emotions I don't think anybody said anything or did anything. It doesn't say that to upset her. But I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes once we get really into the presence of Jesus, things start to churn up inside, don't they? And there may be tears. There may be pain that starts welling up that might feel a bit like a sort of whirlpool. Oh, how he loves to touch our emotions, not to embarrass us, not to make us feel awful but to heal us, to set us free, to bring us into peace and joy and the good stuff that he's got for us. And you may be thinking, well, Maggie, I'm not that kind of person. Can I tell you, I had the privilege for many years of living with triad gangsters who were definitely not that kind of person. But when they came into the presence of Jesus... At times I've heard them weep, I've heard them wail, I've heard them groan, I've seen them sob as Jesus was working on their pain and disappointment and rejection and all sorts of stuff so that they could get free and live the life he had for them. Oh, don't let your emotions stay locked up, folks. Oh, I'm not talking about, oh, let's let it all hang out. I don't mean like that. When Jesus comes, he is a gentleman too. And he knows how to do it with each one of us. He knows how to unlock each one of us. But often part of worship will mean letting your emotions be open to him so he can heal you. 
We've nearly done, and then we are going to worship again. But you'll remember I said we want to be a community of extravagant worshippers. Oh, she's an extravagant worshipper, isn't she? She comes and she brings it all. She brings the expensive ointment. And, and the things that she was doing, you might think are a bit strange, but at that time and place, in that culture, quite appropriate. Quite appropriate to wash somebody's feet. Quite appropriate to offer a kiss of greeting. Quite appropriate to anoint with oil. To bless and honor somebody. And she is showing him her love by doing this. And he accepts it as such. And there's an encounter. And she hears those lovely words that she's longing to hear. You're forgiven. Your faith saved you. And she goes, and she goes in peace, and she's had an encounter with him. And Jesus has to say to Simon, who doesn't get it at all, she loves much because she knows how much I've done for her. She knows who I am. Are you that in love with Jesus? We want to be, yes. Matt says we want to be. We do, we all want to be, don't we? And sometimes, you know... In the prayer meeting the other night, we were thinking about how we want to be on fire. We want to be a light for him. And sometimes our first love's got a bit dulled. I close with this. As I read this story, it reminded me of a night, the very first time I went to Hong Kong, just to see whether God was really taking me there. And they took me one evening to this very rough area to a dark, dank room which smelt of rat pee. And you could hear the rats squeaking in the dark corners. But every Tuesday night, at least 70 men would come into that place to get prayer, to look for Jesus, and to find a life that was better than the one they'd had on heroin. And men would then come and live with us from there. The very first time I went there, we sang Amazing Grace in Chinese. And quite spontaneously, as we started to sing, men knelt down on the floor. Most of them knelt on the floor. Most of them raised their hands and some prostrated themselves. Nobody told them to. The leader wasn't doing that. They'd never been to church. It was the first time probably they'd been in our meeting. Nobody needed to tell them. It was extravagant worship because they started, like that woman, they started to realize who he was and they started to bring everything they could to everything that he brought to them. And it was worship. It was extravagant worship. And it's beautiful, always beautiful to witness. How do we get to the extravagant worship and stay there? Oh, I think it's a bit like Matt said at the end last week. You know the picture of the sunflower? He said the sunflower, so beautiful and glorious and tall and strong, it only gets that way by following the sun and keeping its face towards the sun and tracking it day in, day out. That's the only way I'm going to be an extravagant worshipper. 
Got to keep tracking the sun. Got to put my face up to the sun every day. I never let myself forget who he is, what he's done, what he wants to do for me every day, how much he longs for me to run into that embrace like Paul and Sue and have those encounters with him because he loves me so much and he wants to change me. We're going to worship. Let's pray and get ready for a bit more. So, Father, we just, (laughs) well, we're a bit short of words, really, but we praise you and we thank you that you are so wonderful and marvellous, that you want to know us so intimately, that you want to love us so intimately, and that you want this to be a two-way thing. So will you come and help us now? Will you touch us even if we're a bit cluttered up, if we're a bit blocked up, if we're a bit scared, if we're a bit distracted, if familiarity means that we've pulled back a bit, Lord? If we're a bit stuck on a plateau, will you come right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you. Will you help us just like that lady to make the choice to make a beeline for you, Jesus? And let you touch our lives again with your love, with your healing, with your forgiveness, with your power, with all you've got for us, Lord, because we need it desperately. And we know it only comes from you. We open ourselves up to you, Holy Spirit. Will you help us now to worship the one who deserves it all? In Jesus' name, I'm going to invite you to stand if you can. And wherever you are on the journey we've mentioned, let's come to him honestly and openly with our arms out, knowing that his arms are out and letting him bring us to an encounter again with him. Thank you.